Zeit. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Good morning. It's a sleepy Saturday, but hope you're waking up well. Seven minutes after the hour, you're listening to 95.5 WSB. I'm Ashley Frasca, live in studio with you for the next three hours. Enjoyed a Saturday off last week, and I hope you enjoyed the show. I did get a lot of good feedback about it if you were able to tune in last Saturday and hear uh, Tom Cox of Cox Arboretum, just a really knowledgeable man with a huge passion for conifers and traveling the world earlier in his life to bring all of these trees from other countries uh, right to Canton, Georgia, and grow them successfully in his 13-acre arboretum. What a fascinating guy. So glad that I met him through the Ballground Garden Club um, earlier in the summer, maybe late spring. And then Dr. Alan Armitage, a lot of you who are big into horticulture know who he is. He does walkabouts. He's famous for his garden walkabouts, where he goes to different parts of the country and shows you kind of things going on in gardens. And he has such interesting stories behind different plants that he knows so much about. And he actually has written a book on plants just with funny names and how they got their names, like Nellie Stevens Holly and things like that. So uh, his knowledge just is so complete. It, it just never ends. So I enjoyed my visit with him in early June. And then we talked about blueberries with Jim Putnam, host of HortTube. A lot of you watch his HortTube channel and really enjoy that. Um, talked about blueberries with he and Pike Nursery. So maybe you're inspired to, you know, start growing some new things in your garden. And blueberries are a really good addition. I've had some in pots on the back deck now for about four or five years. So it's time to repot them. Definitely time to place them in bigger pots. Um, and a little fig bush right next to them as well, also potted. Um, but that is something you could start. You could start with a strawberry plant or a blueberry plant and kind of see where things go. Hopefully, if you have blueberries, you're still getting quite the harvest. Um, I, I missed out on mine and let them dry up a few weeks ago, and I think the birds got to the ones that were good. So I missed out on the blueberries completely this year. And, you know, I had a couple of people ask. They were still so disappointed with the yield of squash and cucumbers and tomatoes and things like that because of that prolonged heat that we had in June. A lot of flowers just were not producing fruits and vegetables like they should have. It was dry and it was hot. Pollen wasn't moving around. So, yeah, last week I told you you were able to still do maybe a second round of crops because you may have time in the warm weather for these things to be able to mature and still put out a little bit of fruits and vegetables before the first frost because goodness knows that'll be here before we know it. 404 I would love to hear from you and kind of what you're enjoying out in the landscape and also, too, what I want to talk about throughout the show today I hate to be the one to bring it up, but the kids go back to school soon. And I know t you, those of you that are teachers are like, please don't remind me because you have to go back a little sooner. But I would love to hear from those of you who've had a really good summer with the kids and what you've taken them to do. If you've taken them to the Telus Museum in Bartow County or Fernbank or I don't know, maybe the Atlanta Botanical Garden, something that you've done that was educational, that was either free or really easy to take the kids to, maybe some nature camps or something like that. It is still not too late. Get those kids outdoors and let them really enjoy the summer. So when I was away last weekend, went to uh, went camping on the Gulf of Mexico there in the Florida Panhandle. And two really bad storms came through. We were staying in the Port St. Joe area, which is kind of right in between 
Mexico Beach and Panama City, kind of, I guess, geographically. And two really bad storms came through. And one, the lightning struck kind of the beach area where we were camping literally 30 feet from where we were. Um, And my husband came, you know, back in and the hair on his arms was standing straight up because he had been on the ground 30 feet back from where that lightning hit. So once the storm passed, uh, realized that it left a perfectly round, singed spot on the grass there, kind of right at the, the edge of the beach. That was terrifying. It wasn't still smoldering or steaming or anything like that, but the lightning striking that close. And then we took the dog for a walk after we were in the clear. There was no more thunder, no more lightning, no more rain. Even if it stopped raining, you know, if there's thunder, you, you still have a risk for running into some lightning. So we waited until it was safe, took the dog out. And lightning had also struck one of the palm trees that wasn't too far, you know, maybe 100 yards from where we were. And it blew off all of the bark. And I got to thinking, my gosh, that's dangerous. I mean, that obviously could have been a person standing there rather than a tree. So thinking about a tree getting struck by lightning. Now, what they say is generally the top 5% of height for our trees that are so much taller here in, in North Georgia the top 5% of height is what's most likely to get struck in a thunderstorm. But that's not to say that it can't strike lower on the tree. But once it blows off that bark, really what's exposed is the phloem layer and the cambium layer of the tree. And that's really going to cause the tree to kind of go into a little bit of drought stress because it's going to be exposed and lose some of that moisture. It's not going to be able to retain the moisture. So if you have... Um, a hardwood tree that struck. I know this seems probably kind of futile, but keeping it watered until you can get an arborist to come look at it because it is going to lose a lot of moisture from a lightning strike, not to mention the heat. You know, the lightning isn't just going to penetrate that one spot. It's run up and down the tree. So just the extreme flash of heat, too, from that lightning. Keep the tree watered as best you can so that it's not going to go into a really quick decline from drying out, but really it's it's just wise to get an arborist to come look at it because it may be a slow death um, or it may be fine. You just It's going to be really hard to tell. It's going to take time to really show you the signs of what the stressors were. So uh, georgiaarborist.org is just a website that I love reminding you all about. If you do need tree work done or anything like that, you're worried about just one of your favorite trees in the landscape and you need to have a professional come look at it. GeorgiaArborist.org is where you're going to find a tree professional. That's exactly what it says on the website. Find a tree professional. You're able to type in the zip code and be able to find someone in your area. So thanks to the Georgia Arborist Association and the Georgia Forestry Commission for all of the work that they do. Um, So lightning strike in the tree, storms this time of year. Christina Edwards and I, meteorologist Christina Edwards and I, did a video, and she actually, I guess, shared it to my Facebook page. So I think you'll be able to see it there. Uh, when you search Facebook for Green and Growing WSB and like or follow the page, you'll see Christina and I's conversation about lightning. She knows a whole lot more about it than I do, and she had some really interesting things to share of where you should and shouldn't be located you know, during a storm like that, if you can help it, safety tips and that kind of thing. I just focused more on you know, what it was going to do to the trees because I saw it firsthand. It was terrifying. And we'll be talking in the show, too, about some insects that are just really part of the conversation right now. Um, Hammerhead worms. I got that idea from our friend Walter Reeves, the Georgia gardener. It was so funny to see what he posted about hammerhead worms. He put the article in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution maybe about three weeks back, 
and he couldn't believe it. He said the editor at the AJC says that his Q&A about killing a hammerhead worm generated more clicks than any other recent column. So I don't know if it's the content. I don't know if it was the picture of this guy, but truly a long worm that almost could be snake-like, but it's skinnier, but has a hammerhead, just like a shark or something. That's how it gets his name. So Walter shared that to his Facebook page. Again, if you didn't originally see it in the AJC, uh, follow him on Facebook, Georgia Gardner. Goodness, a hammerhead worm is so interesting. So we'll kind of get into that, what not to do if you see one, how to get rid of them, what, you know, how much of a danger they may be, and chinch bugs too. Any of you that are very proud of your St. Augustine lawn are going to quickly realize that chinch bugs are a major problem, not only in St. Augustine lawns, but more prevalently there than other ways. So biological controls maybe that may keep them at bay. And, oh, my goodness, the Joro spider, the Joro spider. And, DeMarco, I think if we can, Walter and I had a conversation. I can't believe it's already been two years. But uh, the Joro spider, this really big, ugly, bright yellow spider, was introduced to the U.S., first really noticed and, and, well, taken note of and identified in 2013, came from the Asian continent. And the Joro spider has really been kind of nesting in North Georgia ever since then. And so Walter and I listened to this brief conversation we had two years ago about this. Speaking of spiders, a fellow journalist here in the city was out in a park last weekend and posted a picture of this crazy looking spider. And he didn't know what it was. So he kind of uh, came to me for help in identifying it. A yellow uh-huh. garden spider. If y'all want to get creeped yeah. out, I mean, it's nature's beauty, but oh my gosh, he looks terrifying. But yellow garden spider, Google that. Ooh. You want something even more interesting? <laughs> sure. Joro spider, J-O-R-O spider, right. J-O-R-O. The Joro spider, and people in north of Atlanta up in um, Cumming and <laughs> Jefferson and up 85 will know exactly what I'm talking about. It is the same size as that big yellow garden spider we call it rgo the writing spider but it's much more colorful it has big sort of pink red yellow coloring on the back of it and it is huge and it's only in the last three or four or five years maybe that people have even known that it was in georgia is a joro spider a huge spider that you better get used to because it's going to be moving down through atlanta well what's funny on wikipedia it says the spider can be found throughout japan Korea, uh, Taiwan, and more recently, Northeast Georgia. So, yeah, how did we get that, selected yeah. for that? I don't know. It must have <laughs> just moved along on a car or something like that. Packed his bags and said, I'm headed to the Southeast. <laughs> headed on down, sure. weather update for the weekend brought to you by Finley Roofing. Channel 2 meteorologist Brad Nitz says 73 degrees outside right now, but looking at a high of almost 90 degrees, partly cloudy, really small chance for rain, a little bit of a greater chance for tomorrow, a stray thunderstorm possible. But again, highs in the upper 80s and lows in the low 70s. Green and growing growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right, number one, plant turf grass from sod or even seed. We're talking about the warm season grasses right now, like Bermuda, Centipede, St. Augustine. Be prepared to water deeply until the new grass establishes its roots, even zoysia. I always leave that one out, zoysia too. 
Number two, chinch bugs in St. Augustine. Told you we'd talk about those. You have to watch the sunniest parts of the lawn. And if they begin to form maybe yellowing or browning patches and watering doesn't perk it back up, part the grass with your fingers and you can look for these small black insects. A lot of times they'll have almost like a grayish silvery diamond on their back. Um, that's going to be a chinch bug. Treat with an insecticide labeled for chinch bugs, though a lot of them are really becoming kind of resistant to pesticides. Uh, pyrethroids can be effective, maybe a combination of some of them as well. Um, but really the way to know for sure, if that's what you have, you don't want to just go spraying a pesticide without really knowing that you've got chinch bugs. It's interesting if you took a hollowed out coffee can or maybe a four inch PVC pipe or something, but where the top and the bottom are both open, push that down into the lawn as far as you can, maybe twist it down into the top layer of grass, one, two, three inches down, and then just fill that empty hollow, whatever it is, can or pipe with water in the area where you think you have chinch bugs, and they're going to float. They're going to rise in that little pond of water that you've created, and that way you can positively identify the fact that you've got them. And number three, this one I like. I, I keep wanting to try this. I did one year, but this is going to take some patience if you're growing garlic. Harvest it when several of the lower leaves on the stalk go brown, but five or six on the top are still green. Depending on the weather, that could happen earlier than late July. So maybe some of you had already harvested garlic. It's going to take up real estate in the garden for a long time, though. Early bouts of sustained spring heat can push garlic a little ahead of schedule. Don't pull the bulbs out from the stems. You have to loosen the soil, maybe a spading fork or something like that. Be real gentle not to get it too close to the heads. And when you store the garlic, it's best when cured with the leaves on. And then if you're thinking, well, I do want to try garlic. Well, it's going to take a long time. So just keep in mind, I'll tell you now, late September, maybe through November, when we're just getting into fall, is a good time to plant just one clove from something you got from the store. One clove with the pointed end up. And you're going to plant that maybe an inch or two, not even two inches deep. That's a little too deep. But from September through November, planting it to harvesting it in late June or early July. That's a long, long time. But good luck to you if you can grow garlic. So, yeah, just wrapping up that conversation with Walter on the Joro spiders. Um, I had Scott Slade during Atlanta's Morning News ask me yesterday, you know, are they are they poisonous? And no, they can bite, but it's very rare that they're going to even get close enough to you to bite you because they're more timid, so they're going to run away from you, and their fangs are so small, so don't worry about it. You can knock them down, but they've already probably laid hundreds of eggs, so you're going to kill that one spider, but next year we're going to have a whole lot more. And they're invasive. That may be the fear, but there's a lot of research being done at the University of Georgia from the School of Ecology and also you know, the entomology school that... Yeah, they could be invasive. There's going to be a chance. But for right now, hey, they kill stink bugs. So we appreciate that. 404-872-0750. When we come back, growing your own things for charcuterie. Next on WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. 
Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Green and Growing. My goodness, can you believe we're already in mid-July? Once July 4th hits, the rest of the summer, I swear, is on fast forward. But of course, I have a lot of good stuff for you on the show today. And a topic I haven't done. I like talking about food. And it goes beyond just growing your own vegetable garden or your own home orchard. But how about the display of all of that, right? The ultimate party spread over the summer where you can grow your own edible things and herbs It's going to be fantastic. So I have with me from the Gulf Coast in Alabama, Kip McConnell, who's the Business Development Director for the Southern Living Plant Collection, back on the show. Hey, Kip, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm hungry. (laughs) I got it. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a really cool, interesting segment, and hats off to all of you there at Southern Living Plant Collection for thinking of this kind of outside-the-box topic growing your own charcuterie board. Now, instantly I thought, oh, the meats and cheeses are one of my favorite parts. Now, we're not growing (laughs) the meats and cheese, but there's a lot of other stuff that we can do. My goodness, where do we start, Kip? I always think when I I have a really cool charcuterie board, I look, I, I love figs. Do them so many different ways now, too. And so we have this great little dwarf fig. And it's got a great name, too, Little Miss Figgy. <laughs> so it's a perfect, you know, for smaller gardens or even for, you know, uh, you know, patios or balconies. It works for that. And it, it produces fruit, really nice fruit, sweet and perfect for anybody that would like to add that to, to a, you know, a beautiful display. You know, I got to say, I have friends who have large fig trees in their yards, almost so tall that they can't really, you know, harvest things at the top. But I have my little Miss Figgy on the back deck potted and sure enough, have three small figs. So I'm glad you brought that up. This dwarf variety is still good for the apartment dwellers and the people with small patios and balconies. Keep in mind, you don't have to have this expansive yard to grow a lot of this stuff we're going to talk about. No, exactly right. I mean, you know, sometimes it helps and, you know, people that do have that, they can have a lot. But I mean, talking about this type of a display and this type of use, you don't need a ton, but you can make a really cool display with it. It tastes great. And uh, I think everybody would be, um, you know, very impressed with what you can put out in front of them. Shoot. Yeah, absolutely. Now, people think of, you know, with a charcuterie board, the proper wine to pair or the right, you know, drinks to pair with the meats and the cheeses and the fruits. But let's not forget about herbs. How can we incorporate and what are some of the herbs that we can grow ourselves to put on the charcuterie board? And, you know, if you've ever brushed by a rosemary or a lavender, Mm -hmm. how fragrant that is. And that just adds just another level of the experience when you're doing this. And we have a great little dwarf um, rosemary called uh, Chef's Choice Rosemary. So it's a culinary rosemary. You can cook with it. You can use that, you know, when you're cooking uh, meals, you know, grilling meats and things of that nature. But it's also great. You can just put it on that board and add that look and fragrance there that I think really just makes the whole experience even better. And let me ask you, too, are rosemaries, you know, we in Atlanta are zone 7B, but are rosemaries considered perennial? Yes, yes. Most rosemaries are hardy. So they you should take it. And uh, again, you know, with a little bit of protection, you should have no issue. Uh, I've no, I have a lot of friends in Atlanta that, you know, that have it and do well with it. You know, of course, a lot of times there are microclimates and things. And you, if you had it out in the open, you know, with, with a north face or something, you know, you may get, you know, may get some damage on it. But for the most part, it should be fine. 
Okay. No, I like to hear that for sure. Always want to think about perennial plants as well, because a lot of the herbs, you know, of course, are annuals. We have them out in full sun. Uh, basil would be good too, man. You put together, I guess, I never say it right, caprese salad with the basil and the tomato yeah. and the mozzarella. Yeah, no, that's wonderful too. And another one, you know, I mentioned we have a, a couple of lavenders. Oh, yeah. And one in particular, it's a little variegated lavender called Merlot. And uh, it's really cute in the pot. I mean, you can put it like on the, like I said, your patio or table or something like that. But the foliage is so fragrant and it has this just really great lavender fragrance to it. It doesn't even have to be blooming. And uh, it adds that other, you know, extra little aroma that, um, again, makes that experience even more special. Now, I will admit, Kip, I am not much of one for growing herbs. I want to. I just haven't taken the time or haven't tried. So when you're talking maybe about lavender or some of the other ones, um, at what point, like when they go to flower, what do we need to do? Do we pinch off the flowers or do you let them do that? How do you treat herbs in general that way? No, I would I would continue to let them flower. I think people worry, especially when we're doing it in small spaces mm -hmm. and in containers, don't feel like you have to keep it alive forever, especially in the deep south with lavenders. They don't usually love our heat all the time. The ones that we pick do better. But again, have it have it beautiful for the time that you need it. Take care of it. Let it bloom. Let it do its thing. You know, but if you need to, you know, replace it and put a new one in there, don't feel like you failed. You haven't. You enjoyed it. You had it. I mean, like you said, many of these things are annuals anyway, the other herbs, and you have no problem with, you know, throwing out your basil or your thyme or whatever it was when it's done. You can do the same with these. And when we're talking about this beautiful lavender, the chef's choice, rosemary, uh, give us just a couple of planting tips. Pretty easy throwing those in a pot? Very easy. That's what I like about doing them in a container. A lot of these things, they don't like to be wet. So putting them in a container, you can control that moisture so much easier. But um, they like a little more sun, so try to get them in a sunny spot. If you have them in too much shade, they're not going to like that as much. But other than that, you know, pretty simple. You really don't have to worry. If you get a nice potting soil that has some, you know, a little bit of fertilizer built in, you probably won't even need to fertilize them, and they'll do great for you. Woohoo! That's the way to go. The sun is kind of a natural fertilizer. It keeps the plants happy. <laughs> yes. For those in particular, they like that, yeah. Good. All right. Well, I'm with Kip McConnell, who's the Business Development Director for the Southern Lemon Plant Collection. And I kind of fast-forwarded past the figs, which were so exciting, Little Miss Figgy, and then we went to herbs. But back to fruits, I didn't even think about things that berry, all the berries that we could incorporate into yeah. a charcuterie board. Yeah, we have a great blueberry called Hello Darling, which is a perfect Southern name for the Southern Living Collection blueberry. But it's a, a little bit more of a dwarf grower. It's, you know, has a you know, very tight growing habit, which is great. Uh, it has really beautiful foliage, too, which a lot of people don't realize with blueberries. that They're an attractive shrub. Uh, but this thing produces so much fruit, and it's so easy to grow. I mean, even in a container. Like I said, you can do this in a container. I mean, we have them here at the nursery where I work. You know, we have thousands of them out there on the block, you know, growing in containers. And I mean, the number of blueberries, you should see the birds going so crazy out there on the block trying to get to the blueberries. Luckiest birds so in the area. That's right. And hey, it is National yeah. Blueberry Month. We learned last week from our friends at Pike Nursery, too. So great to incorporate blueberries. And give us the name again. Hello, darling. Yeah, that's my, <laughs> that's my favorite. We have several in the collection, but that's my favorite. All right. And what, what else? If we're not so into blueberries, but maybe we like a, a good raspberry or good blackberry, those are easy to grow, too. 
Yes, we have some great blackberries. Uh, these thornless blackberries, they are uh, it, a couple of them, Osage and Navajo. They're the names that came through there when they were uh, uh, doing the breeding work on these. Uh, but they're so easy to grow. The only thing about blackberries is they're an aggressive grower. So you have to use like a trellis or train it up. You know, we use some bamboo TP stakes sometimes. So you keep it, you know, upright and narrow. Uh, but you would be shocked at the amount of fruit you can get just in one container of that on your patio. So, uh, and of course, blackberries are just, you know, and I was actually looking something before we talked today. They're pretty easy to freeze, too. So if you get a bunch of them that produce, you can make you some little bags of blackberries and bring them out each time you want to have your board. And there you go. Yeah, and throw them in some sweet tea or throw them in a cocktail, too. That's definitely worth saving. Now you're talking. (laughs) We're hungry and we're thirsty now. Great. (laughs) Well, Kip, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. And I want to remind folks, of course, a lot of the plants here that we're talking about in the Southern Living Plant Collection can be found at Pike Nurseries, of course, 15 metro Atlanta area locations around you. And Kip, for kind of really cool pictures, exciting news, things that y'all are up to, how can folks uh, hook up with you guys on social media or online? Please visit us online, southernlivingplants.com. We have some great resources on the site there. And again, you can get some great pictures, great ideas of how to use, uh, you know, these plants and many others in the collection. So, uh, you know, be sure to check us out at southernlivingplants.com. Thank you so much for the outside the box, really clever conversation about growing your own charcuterie board. So give me a couple hours to get through the show, Kip, and I'll meet you at the bistro table outside down the street in a little bit. (laughs) Sounds great. Look forward to it. All right. You take it easy. Thanks so much. You too. Bye-bye. We'll be right back with the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. The update on your weekend weather, currently 73 degrees in Midtown Atlanta is brought to you by Finley Roofing. So today and tomorrow, very similar forecast, partly cloudy skies with a high of around 89 throughout Metro Atlanta lows in the low 70s. So it's comfortable right now. A chance of a stray thunderstorm possible tomorrow. 404-872-0750. So my thanks to Kip McConnell there of the Southern Living Plant Collections Charcuterie. So D, uh, DJ Indicator uh, called and just kind of dropped a question. What exactly is charcuterie? What does that mean when people talk about charcuterie boards? So we kind of stretched the envelope a little bit in our conversation there. But charcuterie, I mean, is a French word and it truly means like pork meats, right? Like cold cuts, if you think about bacon or ham or sausage or something like that, having a charcuterie spread. But we have expanded that in recent years. You know, I think back in as early as I can remember in the 80s, my parents just had meat and cheese trays. Well, yeah, that's that's pretty pretty much basically it. But we've expanded charcuterie to also include the meats and the cheeses, but fruits and dried prunes and figs like Kip talked about and of course pairing it with wine or your favorite beverages things like that and also herbs as we mentioned so charcuterie is just kind of a nice spread uh, a light airy snack I guess not really meant to be a meal but that is a very good question uh, DJ so now that is just kind of trendy that's definitely trendy to prepare a charcuterie board and just have it as snacks and I think the more extravagant the better a lot of women will try to 
I don't know, just put all kinds of fancy things and olives and you could just add whatever you want to it. Whatever snacks you want, kind of like a picnic motif, that's what you go with. 404-872-0750. Up first, Robin in Jonesboro. Hey, Robin, good morning. Good morning, Ashley. How are you? Great. How have you been? Good, good, good. I got a couple of questions. Okay. Um, I called back in May. I had had some zosia side put down, mm-hmm. and it turned brown. Some of the grass kind of spread it up a little bit, but it looked like it didn't do nothing. So I just dug it up. Should I just try regular seed this time? There is, there are some types of zoysia that you could do productively with seed, um, but this time of year is just so prime for really laying sod down as well. And it also just depends on the area you've, you're talking about. You know, if it's kind of a funny-shaped area or maybe a smaller area, seed is probably going to do well for you. But if you're talking about pretty expansive space, sod may be the quicker way to go. It's just like... Um... Um, like certain little spots because they was doing some AT&T was doing some uh, running that fiber cable. Oh, yeah. And, you know, just got four spots, maybe about like a 18 by two or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So you might be able to get away with seeds, you know, and if you go to the nurseries or the big box stores or anything like that, you'll find some of the different varieties of seed there and, you know, f- you apply it and lay it down according to la- label directions, of course. But based on what you've got, you know, if you pick up a seed that's a slightly different variety of zoysia, you may see just a slight difference in color or something like that, right. but nothing I would worry about. And for small, small areas that are bare, you know, folks kind of sometimes tend to forget that they can do the rhizomes and the stolons, you know, like using those sprigs to kind of help spread. The healthier the grass is and the greener and the more lush it is, those rhizomes and stolons, the parts that spread, are going to be fine when you kind of plug them in and let them fill areas in as well for cheap because you've already got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one more question. Sure. Um, we have uh, hydrangeas in the front. I call them snowballs. Yeah. They're like um, the brown, the, the, the bud part, the flower part is turned brown, and the leaves is, um, look like something's eating on them. My wife says it's um, beetles or something. There is a chance it could be Japanese beetles, but you would see those guys for sure. Like early in the afternoon, you would see that kind of iridescent, shiny green Japanese beetle, you know, a lot of folks commonly see them on their roses. And when they eat the leaves, it's kind of, you know, they'll just eat various holes in the leaves, but all the holes kind of become connected just with a vein or two of the leaf, only keeping the leaf together intact. But um, the blooms turning brown, I mean, I think that's probably pretty normal if you have that mop head, that macrophylla, the big round puffy blooms. Um, That's normal now that they're browning. And if they bother you, you can certainly just go right below the the expired bloom and cut those off since they do look kind of unsightly or you could leave them. But yeah, look for beetles. That would be the first thing just to properly identify. That's what it is. They're going to be more visible on the tops of the leaves and things versus if you're looking for something else, you'll need to kind of lift the leaf up and maybe look on the underside, see if anything's eating it from the bottom. So it's it's best not to put no seven on it or nothing like that. I really don't think you need to, no, because hydrangeas are still so happy right now in the warm months that they're still putting on new growth and things like that. So unless the whole plant is just overrun with something eating the leaves, I would say just leave it. And they're pretty sturdy. I mean, Japanese beetles are 
really prone to a lot of things in the landscape, but more so I think of roses than anything. Nothing I think is going to be so voracious that it's going to kill your hydrangea. I think you're all right. All righty. Thank you very much. Very good. Well, tell your wife we said hello, and I'm glad you called, Robin. We'll talk again soon. Ready to talk to you next? 404-872-0750. Call with your birding, lawn, and garden questions or anything. We could talk about charcuterie. We could talk about birds. We're going to be talking more about insects coming up. And, hey, it's World Snake Day. We'll be back. It's green and growing on WSP.